everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. Hi, Kyle. How are you? I am doing okay. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you for, for coming on. This is exciting. It's I think this is the second time I've had one of my kind of like holy researchers on the podcast. I had um, Jason the Gatter on mm-hmm. before and I nearly cried during the interview and I'm I'm in a similar emotional state right now. Um, nice. So well, my yeah. head is not going to fit out of the, the door in my ear. So. <laughs> yeah, like listen back to the pod with J- with um, Jason and I, like, I was cringing at how much I was just like fanboying the whole time. Uh, oh but gosh. yeah, it's fine. Um yeah, how's your day been? Have you been up to much? Uh, not much. Uh, I'm in the States, so just kind of doing some fun times at the beach and, and new, in the New England area and hanging out by the lakes. So yeah, it's been it's been a good summer so far, just getting some time outside. Nice, How about nice. yourself? Um, yeah, it's been, it's pre- actually, it's, it's morning for you, isn't it? Yeah, I forget because of the, the it's time. It's morning, difference. yes. Yeah. yeah, so you haven't done much of your day, I imagine, yet. No, um, <laughs> just getting up. <laughs> um, yeah, my, my day's been good. Um, I've had one of those kind of classic PhD days where last week I spent like a, an entire afternoon planning out what I was going to do for the next five weeks. And then within like the first half an hour of this morning, I got an email with some news that completely derailed everything I had done. Yeah. Um, so that, that that's fun. a PhD kind of morning for sure. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Um, so now, yeah, I've had to kind of spend the day panicking and my supervisor's telling me to calm down and it'll be okay. And <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> um, will be. That that's, that's the truth. It will be. Yeah, it shall. It shall. Um, okay. So, uh, I wanted, yeah, I guess we get stuck in. Um, sure. and there's so many things that I think I could talk to you about, um, because we have so many shared interests in research and, and different things. But what I really wanted to focus on, um, is some of your work and the uh, seminar that I listened to you, um, do recently talking mm-hmm. about performance enhancing substances. And those are kind mm-hmm. of, um, there are legal ones and also not legal ones and, and different mm-hmm. kind of aspects. So I guess to start, can you explain to me and then the viewers what performance enhancing substances are um, Mm -hmm. and do we know how many people are using them yes sure so i think performance enhancing substances is a pretty broad category uh you'll you'll hear them you'll hear the term kind of used in different ways too like appearance and performance enhancing drugs and substances which would be like apeds um is also ipads image uh, perform image and performance enhancing drugs and substances so it's kind of like used in different terms but generally when we talk about those types of substances they fall under two categories one which would be considered legal uh and legal i guess is sort of a odd term because like they're just legally sold and distributed but there's also like problems within that industry um and those types of substances would be uh like whey protein supplements or creatine supplements or pre-workout supplements um you know those types of dietary supplements that are really meant to you know, sort of help with muscle recovery or, you know, help with sort of muscle development or growth. 
um, you know, sort of the whey protein, creatine fall into the like sort of muscle development category. Amino acids might be more along the category of sort of muscle uh, recovery. Um, and then obviously pre-workout powders and supplements are meant for, you know, helping you, you know, wake up basically, but they also have creatine and all types of other things in them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the, the illegal side of the, uh, of the performance enhancing substances would be things like anabolic steroids, um, or SARMs, selective androgen receptive mod- modulators, um, which are kind of a newer type of sort of, <laughs> I guess, lesser, you know, sort of, uh, known, but becoming more common, um, uh, sort of anabolic you know androgenic sort of substance i guess if you will i feel like Uh, people treat them people treat them as kind of like the step up don't they like it's like the the step you take before you take on anabolic exactly yeah yeah Yeah. and there's been lots of like reports of them being more common and becoming more common but i i feel like it's it's not as the data hasn't really been there for sarms quite yet but definitely more uh definitely a lot more research on like anabolic steroids for sure um different Mm -hmm. androgens of course um, so yeah, so the, the legal, illegal ones would be ones that are like, you know, drugs that are classified as, you know, illicit substances. I mean, I'm, I'm in Canada and I'm, I'm from the UN, United States originally. So in the Can- Can- Canada and the United States, you know, anabolic steroids are, you know, controlled substances. So, um, it's illegal for you to, you know, manufacture or sell them. It's not illegal for you to use them per se. Uh, but generally people who are using them are getting them off the black market. Um, mm-hmm. and that's obviously can create some problems as well. Um, and then as far as how many people are using them, that's also a bit hard to capture as well. I mean, obviously, this very big range of studies that have looked at, you know, <clears throat> how many people are using um, these different supplements and, and drugs, uh, depending on, again, like whether it's a larger nationally representative sample or more of a convenience sample or more of a sample of like bodybuilders or weight gym goers and athletes and of that nature. Um, so it is kind of hard to really truly capture, but I think there's a huge range. So uh, like I'll give you examples. So uh, in the United States, for example, um, using a nationally representative sample of, of uh, young people, they we found that um, 16% said they used legal performance enhancing substances. And that was that was males. Um, and so, you know, that's a pretty good number of people who and that was sort of a glump clumped in category of different type like creatine and different types of supplements. Um, you know, more recent data that I've collected in Canada, um, which is not a nationally representative sample, it was more of a convenience sample of you know, people who, you know, took a survey that I posted on Instagram and, um, and we found that actually 80% of this, of the males in the sample used whey protein, 50% had used creatine. And I think it was about 30% or 33% or so who had used, um, amino acids. So mm. we tried to get at more like granular detail about how many people were using the different su- supplements. Um, so, you, you know, it's probably a range, you know, somewhere between, you know, 16 to, you know, 80% are using some type of supplement in their yeah, last I feel like I'm, months or so. I'm, I'm less shocked by the 80% than I was. I feel like the 16% was shocking to me, but maybe yeah. that is, like you say, you use that kind of convenient sample. Maybe that's mm-hmm. just the circles that we, we right. sit in. Um, but yeah. I like, yeah, I struggle to think of many people that don't take them. It seems everyone's on something. Yeah, I, I, I sort of trust the 80%. I mean, again, we can't, as as a researcher, I can't say that's like a true, you know, point prevalence kind of thing. Um, but I definitely, I definitely feel like that's probably closer to what's more accurate among males, like just, mm. and that's past 12 months. So, and it was, it wasn't, wasn't asking about like, how many times they use it. it was more just like, have you used it? Yes or no? Um, yeah. And so sure, if people use it one time. I mean, that's certainly capturing them as well, as much as people who are doing it like every single day, for example. Um, but yeah, I think male, you know, males are super invested in using these different, uh, these different, you know, legal performance enhancers. Um, and, uh, it's not surprising because they just, they, most males are trying to achieve that like muscular body ideal. 
Yeah, and it, um, it is it is like you say it, it seems so common, and I think it is tied into that you know that whole ideal physique that men are told mm-hmm. to. And, and also, I think the the companies themselves that sell these things, um, understandably, I guess, as a business model, lean into that. You know, I don't, totally. I don't think it's a nice thing to do, but it makes it makes logical sense if you know if people totally. are insecure about something and you think you can fix it or you can absolutely sell something yeah that might do yeah. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely marketed for the purposes of, you know, achieving that body ideal that is coveted in, in, a, in a sort of dominant society. So, mm. um, yeah. And then steroids, I think, are also like hard to capture, too, as far as prevalence, because, again, we sort of don't have good data on like, let's say, nationally representative samples. Um, I mean, I think estimates like my the sample that I had collected about three percent of the males, I think it was like two point eight had used steroids in their lifetime. Which, which actually tracks very closely with the United States, around 3% or so in the United States had used steroids in their lifetime. Globally, uh, in like a meta-analysis that was done, I think in 2014, I think it was 6% of males had used steroids in their lifetime. So, you know, the estimate is probably somewhere between 2 and 6%, right? I think that's mm-hmm. probably a pretty strong uh, sort of range um, of, of estimates of how many males are using steroids kind of in their lifetime, which is, again, like not a small amount of people. I mean, it's certainly not 20% or, you know, 50%, but it is, um, it is a fair amount of people who are seeking out these substances through sort of kind of questionable means like online, you know, not really necessarily knowing a hundred percent what's in the supplement, the, the, the drugs, um, trusting that they're what they say they are. Um, and then of course using them. So definitely something to be concerned about. And do you, do you know if, you know, in those like pre- in the prevalence studies, did they track the reason why they were using them like was that purely because like two percent even at the lowest you know two percent of the the population using something that you know is there are several and we'll get into this listed Mm -hmm. like problems that can come Mm -hmm. up and you're using it purely for appearance like two percent is a like you know ridiculously high number Totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, you know, some data that has come out, uh, not studies that I've done, but previous data that was actually an international sample of male steroid users. And a lot of them, not surprisingly, were trying to increase strength, um, increase like their sort of um, muscle, muscle, um, muscularity and sort of their leanness. Um, and, you know, steroids are like extremely effective. I think I've seen studies before that like you will gain muscle <laughs> using steroids by just like sitting on your couch. Like it is, I think they've actually shown like people who work out and use steroids and people who like don't work out and use steroids, like you actually just gain muscles using steroids <laughs> no matter what. And then obviously if you add in working out, it, it obviously, you know, amps things up a bit. Um, so strength, strength and, and sort of that, that muscular and, and sort of lean appearance is obviously top on the list of, of why people are uh, using steroids for sure. Yeah. And I, I think, I think I've seen that same study cause I, I wrote a bit about steroids once during my masters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I remember reading that paper of, yeah, yeah. That, that people were just, yeah, even in the non exercise yeah. sample, they were like just getting jacked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, this, which, and we'll we, talk about the potential issues though, but I mean, like, I think there's other studies that have shown that like people who use steroids, like, uh, it was one study that I read, it was among steroid users over a one year period. I think I think it was like ninety nine percent of them reported uh, like muscle like muscle development, but then I think like a hundred percent of them uh, reported like one side effect, <laughs> like yeah. at least one side effect. So yeah. yes, you get the muscle development and you also get side effects. So it's definitely oh, oh uh, yeah, it comes with a cost. In no way am I wanting to encourage it at all. Oh yeah, but, but I, I guess no, I guess the, I. <laughs> the the re- the reason I, the reason I think is a kind of important, I guess, to lean on on the those benefits is to show 
why it seems so attractive mm-hmm. to so many people totally. who are who are kind of feeling like they need to show that body ideal yeah Um, yeah and it's not people people aren't just like going to the gym one day and like using steroids the next day i think there's like a really um actually we just uh are working on a study now that's under review that looks at sort of a uh it's a qualitative study we interviewed a whole bunch of people who used you know performance enhancers all types of performance enhancers but also just like engaged in general like muscle building activities um and, you know, there's a really unique process. And that's, that's what we did is we actually developed a process theory to sort of understand like how people go through the, the process of like starting out in exercise, starting out in weight training to like going to steroid use. Like, what does that look like? How does that process evolve? Um, and, you know, everybody who reported steroid use in the study, uh, we interviewed, I think it was like uh, 33 people. There was three who had used steroids and it was like maybe I would say 10 to 12 who were seriously considering using it and the rest were like not going to do it at all. Um, so it's definitely a range, but you know, the people who had used steroids were like very, it was very evident that they had gone through like those, um, you know, a very thoughtful process of engagement. Um, and they, they did their research. They really understood what their risks were, how to do them. They spent time, you know, researching, um, you know, videos on YouTube, like how to actually access them, how much to take, you know, uh, for how long, um, you know, what kind of blood tests to have your doctor run, like all types of things like that. So, um, and, you know, most people who are using steroids also reach that plateau that they hit, right? They work out for a year and they're like, wait a minute, I can't really gain any more muscle here. Um, I can't really get to that next sort of phase that I want to be in. And so they, you know, turn towards, and they've used creatine, they've used whey protein, they've used amino acids, they've used weight gainers, they've used all these different things. And they're just coming up short, right? And that's just the natural physiology of our bodies is that we eventually reach that point. Um, And so it makes sense that people would then go to the next step, which would be like steroids, obviously, to really push them over that edge. Um, So yeah, it's definitely a a unique process. And I think uh, somewhat of a misnomer in like popular culture is that people just like jump right to steroids and it's not a, and most people are pretty thoughtful about it. Um, Yeah. some, Yeah. Some are more risky, of course, but most people are pretty thoughtful about it. Yeah, and and I, th- I think as well, you know, one of those kind of common societal perceptions of people who take steroids is that they are just the, you know, I think people often assume it's a lot less thoughtful, in, and mm-hmm. that I think people tend just to assume that they're just a bunch of kind of like stupid meatheads yeah, who just yeah. are just injecting a ridiculous mm-hmm. amount of, and mm-hmm. and and you know, again, I'm I'm not trying to kind of support it in any way, but I do think that that like negative outlook on the people taking yeah. is one of the reasons why there's such a lack mm-hmm. of care and a lack totally. of, kind of attention towards helping them yeah 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 actually that's been a big interest of mine um more recently is actually and i'm sort of shifting a bit of my research to focus a bit more on that like that narrative of harm right there's a huge narrative of harm around steroids and that's been developed based on of course like uh you know through professional sports and and the uh, world anti-doping agency like wada um you know like <clears throat> that whole like focus on like, this is a problem. This is a problem. And I'm not saying it's not a problem in professional sports. Like I'm in favor of like making sure that the athletes are clean. Uh, But generally, you know, people who are just going to the gym and using steroids, like we want to make sure those people are actually getting the care they need and having doctors who are well-informed and, um, you know, and approaching it in a harm reduction way, which is like, yeah, if someone's really going to do it and we're not going to stop them as healthcare professionals, well then let's make sure they're doing it in a safe way. We're monitoring them. Uh, we're giving them guidance for making sure they're using clean needles. Like all that stuff is actually really, really important to do. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge, I'm a hugely in favor of that as well. Yeah. I, I think it's a big problem for all the kind of like muscularity mm-hmm. orientated mm-hmm. issues that we see is totally. that 
the the general assumption is they're just a bunch of like narcissistic yeah guys who just you know mm-hmm. were just doing just being idiots and trying to get yeah. massive and so we yeah. we tend to the, the like like a lack of empathy towards yeah. them um which and i think lots yeah. of stigma yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah totally um, so let's let's get into these um <laughs> potential issues before we sound like we're trying to sell people steroids <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, yeah, can you uh, list? I suppose for some of the, um, or like, kind of give us some ideas, or even some of the legal um, mm-hmm. issues yeah. that can come up as well. Yeah, so I mean, I think um, you know, this is something I've been trying to do for some time, and and my colleagues and I have been trying to do is just track, like, you know, what are some of the sort of adverse outcomes that may be attached to some of this, the use of these supplements and these drugs. Um, and of course, it's not like all encompassing, you know, it's not like you use these, I always preface this stuff, like, because I think people get a little bit um, on edge about it. But uh, like, you know, it's not like you use these supplements once, and you're going to have these negative outcomes, it's likely a clustering of different types of sort of behaviors and, uh, you know, you know, uh, sort of use over time and things of that nature. But, um, and, and I'll also say that, like, some of the problems that are that stem from use of legal performance enhancers, let's say, and also illegal ones, too, but certainly the legal ones, like, you know, generally, uh, and I'll speak about the like, you know, North American context, because that's kind of what I know most, as far as the United States and Canada, but, you know, there really is just like a lack of really strong regulations to make sure the products and I'm talking about like whey protein and creatine and all those types of supplements um, are like safe, actually, and like, have the you know, like there's been studies that have shown that they're like adulterated with, you know, stimulants or steroids, um, or even just like contaminated with other products or mislabeled. So the issues kind of actually stem a lot from just like general poor regulation. Um, that's a, that's one big thing. Um, and then of course, like we kind of hinted at a bit as we were chatting a few minutes ago is like generally the use of these different supplements is driven by some sort of appearance related purpose or appearance related ideal, which obviously creates, uh, you know, tension, right? Because someone's striving to sort of reach an ideal. If they don't reach it, you know, they likely have, you know, more body dissatisfaction or maybe depression symptoms or frustration, anger, right? And that sort of feeds the, the narrative or the drive to engage in more, right? So, you know, more exercise, more dietary practices that are aimed at, you know, ach- achieving that body ideal um, or even use of like steroids, for example. Um, so that's some of the, like, I think the root issues of some of the issues. Of, and and uh, and I'm sorry, and I should also say that like the, uh, you know, the steroids thing is a problem too, as we said, like, you know, because they're illicit and because we put so much stigma on the use, because we, you know, sort of pigeonhole those people into the corner, into the sort of underground world, like we don't actually know how safe they could be if we really wanted to monitor and take care of them. So I think that's like a big underlying issue as well. Mm-hmm. Um but generally, yeah, I think uh, so. That was my that was my long winded winded preface. I, I, I do <laughs> um, want to t- touch on a couple of yeah, things that you said there, um, before we move on. Um, yeah, the, in regards to the like lack of reg like regularity. Sorry, mm-hmm. forget the regulations word now. Regulations. Regulations. Yeah. Um, it's similar in the UK. I I did my mm-hmm. uh, masters in um, sport and exercise nutrition, and mm-hmm. f- first thing that kind of shocked me when I went into it was that the first thing they said was that we're you know everything should be food first because I was a big like supplement head. You know this is when I mm-hmm. was struggling with my like kind of muscle dysmorphia stuff, mm-hmm. and I was shocked by the fact that they were so like anti supplement because these were. Yeah. You know, I went to Loughborough and it's one of like the top mm. kind of sports science schools in the world. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so I so I assumed that they were all you know had these perfect amounts of whey protein and creatine. And I was going to be yeah. told the exact grams I should be taking, and yeah, yeah. I was shocked that I wasn't. Um, but yeah, one wow. of the first things they told us was that um, in the UK there's a um, 
company called Informed Sports. I don't know if it's just mm. the UK or if it's if it's mm. um, worldwide, but mm. they they basically um, test batches of like whey protein mm. and different um, powders nice. to to yeah. see if there's you know s like kind of um, pot right. bits of steroids in those kind of things. Right. Um, and and the, the thing that shocked me was like, why is that needed? Because then I was like, yeah. so what's actually in them? And I, I guess yeah. we're going to talk a bit about that now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a bit, I think so. I do think the regulations is a big, big issue. And then the, the other thing yeah. I wanted to touch on, and maybe we can talk about later on as well, is yeah. um, I read a paper recently looking at um, more older men in the. I think this was in the UK mm. particularly, mm. Um, taking steroids. And yeah. the reasons behind that were the body image stuff, but also right. um, like sexual enhancement, sexual performance. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think mm-hmm. I think there's a tie-in with like mm-hmm. masculinity here, and, and mm-hmm. this totally. idea is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that and that makes total sense, right? I mean, as males age, right, their testosterone levels usually do go down. Their muscles sort of, you know, kind of de- deteriorate. Their sexual performance goes down, right? So it makes a lot of sense that they would turn towards you know, synthetic testosterone, testosterone mm. to like, you know, boost, boost that process for themselves. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. I think that's interesting too. I mean, so in Canada, like the regulations are slightly different than the U S where there is requirements for like the, um, you know, companies to submit uh, like efficacy type studies where they sort of say like, okay, this is safe. Um, and this is about supplements. This is like the dietary supplements, like whey protein. Um, but again, that sort of relies a lot on the industry to, to do that. Um, and we don't like, we don't really actually track so strongly, like how well the study's done. And like, we don't really follow up and monitor to make sure that that's actually the case or whatever. Um, whereas in the U S the FDA doesn't really require much, much pre-testing at all. And it's all sort of reactionary based, um, and so that obviously creates a lot of problems where we're, de- we're making sure that uh, people are reporting their adverse events or relying on researchers to do, can, you know, studies of checking the purity of the, the products. Um, so, yeah, that's a huge that's a huge issue, I think, like in and of itself um, that is quite uh, problematic. We wouldn't mm-hmm. do that for pharmaceuticals, obviously. We don't even really do that for food, you know, quite honestly. Like we do a lot more with food to try and make sure it's safe for people to, uh, to use. Um, and actually, there was an interesting because I mean, in Canada, an example actually was recently. Um, you know, all those like pre-workout, uh, like, uh, drinks like bang and like C4 and all that. Um, they just came out. I don't remember which brand it was, but there was like a huge recall because all of the, uh, they were actually had too much caffeine. And I think the caffeine maximum in Canada is like 200 milligrams or something. I'm going to make mess that up, but it's something along that route line, mm-hmm. but they were at like 250. Um, and so you can see that even though like there's some pre-testing that's happening, you know, the companies are are still getting through with, you know, using uh, like, you know, maybe just not following the rules, right. Not following mm-hmm. the regulations. So again, putting people a bit at risk. Um, and also with the, those pre-workouts, I, I like, at least from the, the bits of advertisements that I see, mm-hmm. and I used to, again, I used to take pre-workout stuff. Yeah. Um, it's all seems like a bit of a, like a compet, like it's quite competitive, mm-hmm. which one's the most extreme. Like it's all about like, totally. where you know, everyone, every, like you said, they're called like, they're called, named after explosives. And stuff, yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah, like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's all, it, it's all this competition of like, and again, that I get this air of like, this like, you know, like, are you man enough to take yes. C4? Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. Cause this is what the, yeah. the proper tough, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, you know, people can, can do. And, it, it all kind of ties, I feel like anyway, but maybe it's just me kind of, cause I'm interested yeah. in that. Um, right. It ties in, I feel like. Yes. Yeah. And there's definitely that masculinity aspect to it. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, the advertisements are super hardcore, like, you know, kind of at what you're getting at. And then there's also like, um, 
Uh, I mean, I feel like also some of them are like hypersexualized too. Like there's often like women who are, you know, <laughs> scantily clad and like, you know, uh, you know, sh- you know, drinking the whatever pre-workout. And like, so there's definitely like a sexual sexualized aspect of it as well, which is, you know, just again, focusing on body, focusing on, you know, sort of ob- objectifying the body, objectifying people in a really unique way. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, just quite interesting. Right. And, and again, thinking about who's viewing those advertisements, like generally it's going to be young people, maybe even people who are like just not in the space to make safe decisions about use or really tease out whether or not this is a safe thing to use, uh, how much to use, things like that. Uh, are they using more than one product, which they're probably using many more. So like, mm. you know, that type of stuff is obviously quite, um, quite problematic, but mm. um, we'll get to your question now about the issues. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we derailed. Um, no, 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 it's okay. I think there's like lots of interesting, you know, sort of, like you know again prefacing sort of why some of these issues come up for people but so yeah we've done a number of studies uh looking at the use of uh both legal and illegal appearance and performance enhancing drugs and substances uh and a variety of different like health and social outcomes actually mostly social outcomes like um you know sort of things that would and behavioral health outcomes that people would engage in um uh, and then obviously there's been a lot of research, uh, by other researchers around steroid use and, you know, different like longitudinal outcomes as well, particularly like physiologically, how it affects the body and things of that nature. But, um, so as far as like the studies we've done, you know, we've actually tracked, uh, using the, um, ad health data set, which is a U.S. based data set. Um, it followed, uh, adolescents, I think starting in, I want to say 1992, uh, up till like today, I think they're all in like their forties and maybe early fifties. So actually they followed them every seven or so years for a number of years now. Um, and so we've actually tracked, um, they did, they did ask about steroid use when they were in adolescence, um, and also like use of performance enhanced, like legal performance enhancers. Um, and we've actually tracked over time, uh, like kind of what sort of outcomes people may, may experience uh, if they've used any of these, um, and so we've found like for steroids, for example, we found that over actually um, a 15 year period. So over two waves of data collection, we found that people who use steroids and actually the legal performance enhancers were more likely to engage in criminal offending. Um, and so that was like a that was like a sort of composite variable that we created. So we put in there it was like physical fighting, been arrested, like things of that nature, spent a night in jail. Um, and so if you had used the supplements or the steroids, you were more likely to engage in some type of criminal offending. And again, that was over a 15 year period. So mm. from adolescence all the way until someone was, uh, you know, in their forties and 50, late early fifties. Um, similarly, we found relationships between, um, steroid use and intimate partner violence, uh, both, you know, perpetration and victimization. So definitely violence is an, you know, involvement. Um, as well as sexual risk behavior. So like having more than one sexual partner, you know, um, you know, having more, more sexual partners in one's, one's life or one's sexual sort of lifetime, um, as well as sort of STIs and things of that nature. Um, and so those were like the big ones that we found were for steroids, um, for, uh, you know, legal performance enhancers, we found things like use of, uh, sorry, problematic use of like alcohol, like binge drinking, uh, early, you know, earlier initiation around alcohol. We found, future use of anabolic steroids, which is not surprising if you're more likely mm-hmm. to use steroids in the future. Um, uh, and uh, we also know like muscle dysmorphia is quite common. Eating disorder symptoms are quite common um, as far as, as it relates to legal performance enhancers. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely like a plethora of <laughs> like potential social issues uh, that one might experience. Um, and then the other thing we found too, which actually was really interesting in the data that I collected uh, in Canada, 
And we did have a, about, it was about 2% of the whole sample had used steroids, which is 2,700 adolescents and young adults. And uh, we actually found that um, I think it was over 25% had moderate or severe dependence. Um, we had created uh, sort of based on other research, like a dependence score uh, and um, you know, like more than 25% of them were at like severe or moderate dependence of steroids, which means like they were having trouble stopping. Um, you know, they used more or longer than they initially anticipated. They used despite having, you know, out adverse outcomes, um, you know, out adverse sort of side effects. Um, and a- along with that, we actually found that uh, about 75% had at least one uh, adverse uh, outcome, adverse sort of um, physical effect, like, you know, acne or, uh, you know, different type like mood, you know, insomnia, sort of mood, mood struggles, um, you know, high blood pressure, things of that nature. So mm-hmm. definitely like, yeah, definitely pretty like, uh, I guess, like problematic sort of clustering of sort of physiological effects, psychological effects, and then obviously social effects as well. Mm. And what, I mean, that's that suppose the physiological effects speak for themselves, isn't it? You're, you're often, at least with the steroids, you're kind of bringing in this, you know, exogenous version of right. testosterone or whatever it is and you're messing with your hormones levels that's going to influence right. all sorts of issues um that i'm not qualified enough to, to speak about but you know it's yeah <laughs> we we know that the, the the kind of issues around that i suppose but why why do you think it is that those social issues happen like you know like the, the like mm-hmm. why why what is the link there yeah. and, um i have i have my kind of thoughts but i'm interested what what you think yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of, uh, I think it's many different things. I think, you know, it's, uh, in some of the studies, we didn't, actually, we didn't stratify by gender, because just there's just a small number of people in the sample who had used the supplements and steroids. So in order to like maximize our power, we sort of kept people together, um, which again, is like a, just a limitation to survey data. And, uh, you know, just kind of the way it works. But um, my hunch would be that, you know, it's mostly clustering around the males who are using the supplements who are also having some of the adverse outcomes like criminal offending and sexual risk behaviors, like other sort of problematic alcohol use, like generally those types of behavior, those types of sort of social effects are sort of clustered around like males. Um, and so I think there's a, there's definitely like a masculinity thing there, right? Like mm. displaying norms of masculinity, sort of, you know, perpetuating um, sort of just, yeah, problematic masculinity. Um, so I think that's a big piece of the puzzle. Um, there's, I think there's a social thing that's involved. Like you're just probably, you know, maybe hanging around with people who are also engaging in some of those behaviors. Um, if you're willing to take steroids, you're willing generally to take a bit more risks. Um, you know, again, you're like, you're not just, you know, drinking like a, you know, like a smoothie every day, you know, like you're, you're taking a bit of a risk there. So you're just likely going to probably engage in more risk behaviors outside of your life. Um, again, I would, I would, I mean, we know that people who use steroids are more likely to, you know, have had sort of been, been involved in violence in some capacity, like been sexually abused or assaulted in their lives or, um, so again, it's probably like some trauma or maybe some mental health struggles that are wrapped around in that, which again, would maybe, perpetuate uh you know someone's engagement in some other problematic behaviors like binge drinking for example or mm. um you know other mental health problems so i think like i mentioned earlier i think there's just like a general clustering of like the typology of who these people generally are and sort of how mm. they might engage in some of the behaviors um and again that just sort of like leads to more struggles right and i think that's the way to frame them is like these are people who are not like bad people they're just they're likely struggling with something like mental health or whatever it might be social health 
uh, behavioral health. So we need to like be supporting them and not ostracizing them or stigmatizing them, like I mentioned earlier. So, um, so that's kind of the way that I sort of see it and the way mm-hmm. I sort of hypothesize the, the connections there. Um, I'm curious to see if you have any uh, differing thoughts or concurring thoughts. No, I mean, I, I, yeah, pretty much, pretty much bang on what, what I, I think as well. Um, yeah, I, I do think there's a, yeah, there's, 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 like you say, that kind of masculinity thread mm-hmm. and the idea of, you know, if, if you're the type of person who feels like you're not masculine enough and you use steroids to maybe try and prove that, you may also mm-hmm. try and prove that in these other, in these other ways. Totally. Um, yeah. And that's going to, yeah, lead to all these, these different things. But then I guess there's also the, the kind of, um like the the way in which this is influenced in that it might just be people who are more risk takers like you yeah. said are just more yeah. likely then to take steroids because that is a risk right um right. and even even just the fact that it's it's um illegal to to kind mm-hmm. of buy them is uh, mm-hmm. at least i think i think in the uk it's yeah i think it's similar to like what you said in us and canada in that i don't think it's illegal to to use them but it is mm-hmm. illegal to buy them and sell them mm-hmm. or something like yeah. that manufacturer um, so, yeah 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 so if you're if you're willing to break the law to do mm-hmm. it then you're willing to break yeah. the law in other areas and, and yeah. those kind of things um right. yeah there's there's a there's some interesting research in um in a, a, a phd student in the uk um mm. bates and um, did some studies around mm. um, steroids and around some of the reasons why they might uh, people might take steroids and some of the kind of social yeah. reasons um and a lot of those factors were around um there's kind of several several layers to it but one of the big ones was um your your social group and also like the institutions mm-hmm. that you're that, that right. you surround surround you um yeah. and you know I, I always think whenever when i read that study because he mentions like your gym i always think mm-hmm. of the gyms that i've trained at throughout my life mm-hmm. and i think the time the time period of my life where i was most I'd never took steroids, but the time period where I was at most kind of at risk to when I was mm-hmm. thinking about it was when I was mm-hmm. training at this gym where literally my first day going to that gym, I saw two guys like passing a needle and oh, some, wow, yeah. some kind of liquid yeah. um, to each yeah. other. So again, you know, I, if you're around, if you're in a mm-hmm. gym that is a steroid yeah. kind of positive gym, mm-hmm. um, and that's a, I don't want to say steroid positive gym. That's, <laughs> that's not a term I want to yeah. start. Um, but a gym that is, you know, doesn't, isn't against accepting. people taking steroids yeah. and accepting, yeah. um, then, you know, you're probably going to be more likely to have that positive view mm-hmm. of that kind of thing. And then you'll probably get mm-hmm. in those circles where people may be doing these kind of behaviors and, mm-hmm. and yeah, can, can turn into this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's also lots of studies too that have sh- shown that, you know, people who use steroids and again, it's mostly the research. I think it's important to sort of classify this as more people who are using it repeatedly or uh, actually even dependent on it. Um, some of the studies kind of focus just on those individuals um, who have used multiple cycles and, and all that. Um, but like they do show that those people do have generally like higher aggression scores, higher aggressive personality types, um, uh, you know, have more executive functioning challenges. So like there is a neurological neurobiological change that does happen, you know, as you engage in sort of repetitive use of steroids. So um, that I think is also just like part of the puzzle too. Right. And um, again, it's not to sort of like, I think again, the narrative in popular culture is one that's like, uh, that's like, that's bad. Like this is terrible. Like that person's terrible. Right. And I think the, you know, we don't really do that with people who are addicted to opioids, for example, like there's much more compassion towards those individuals. And I think that type of, mentality is is equally deserving of people who are like using you know blasting and cruising steroids and just on it for 
you know, months and it's like, that's really problematic. Like that's going to mess with you. Like, um, and so we need to be, again, like compassionate towards those people and actually try to help them versus, uh, you know, ostracize them and, and stigmatize them. No, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I do, I do think it's interesting that you mentioned the kind of like yeah, people on opioids and stuff like it, there is this just strange kind of box, isn't there, that steroids are put in. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it is mm-hmm. just that it's, um, just general appearance related mm-hmm. issues totally. put in this box of, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what it is, but it, yeah, if someone if somebody is addicted to um, heroin or something, mm-hmm. there tends to be uh, this kind of general acceptance of that mm-hmm. you know they've probably had traumatic life or that you know it was mm-hmm. a mistake or we we, we can be mm-hmm. empathetic towards them like it's mm-hmm. really hard to get off and really hard you know and and because of that we have charities and different things that right. help um, and rightfully so um, but yeah. then with with steroids yeah it is just kind of you just don't see anything about it or, you know, no. like, yeah, if, if you do, it's always kind of like, Oh yeah. And they're on steroids. Like, really, <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know, it's, um, which is, yeah, I think a problem. And I, I guess, yeah. How do you think we like change that? Or how do you think we move? Mm-hmm. You know, what do we do with that? I think education, right. I mean, I think a lot of it stems from just like educating the public, educating, especially like, I think educating healthcare professionals is a huge one. I mean, a lot of the research that's shown like engagement with steroid users and the healthcare system is like, they don't share because they fear how they will be perceived or their fear, they're fearful of stigma being stigmatized, or even fearful of like, will they get in trouble? Like if they have it documented in their medical note that they use steroids, like, how does that sort of, uh, you know, legal, legally impact them, like things like that. So I think there's just like a lot of education that needs to happen. Um, and again, moving away from, um, yeah, this, this, this narrative that, you know, these people aren't gener- like generally there's probably a clustering of, of mental health struggles or social struggles um, that are, you know, perpetuating the engagement in some of these. Uh, and even if it's just like, I mean, I think this is valid enough too. It's just like body dysmorphia, muscle mm-hmm. dysmorphia, like, if you see yourself as smaller than you actually are um, and you're going to use steroids, like that's a problem in and of itself. Like, you know, um, that, it, that really indicates some pretty severe psychological struggle. So mm. um, it shouldn't be again, like, Oh, they just have muscle dysmorphia or, Oh, they just want to be bigger. Like actually, no, let's literally investigate that and figure out, um, you know, what's going on for them and how we can help them. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think like even, even like underlying that, I think, you know, a lot of the research looking at the link between this like masculinity issues mm-hmm. and, and totally. stuff, I think often if, if someone has an issue with masculinity, they're often labeled as like, Oh, I mean, like get a grip, mate. Right. You know, we're not, we're not back right. in the fifties, you know, like sort your head out. Um, yeah. but, but for some people and, you know, looking at the research and different things, some people there, you know, that fear of not, being mm-hmm. masculine is just mm-hmm. as gripping and just as yeah. terrifying as any other kind of mental health right. issue yep. of not feeling good enough. Um, yeah, and yeah. I think we need a bit more, you know, understandably, I understand the lack of empathy in a lot of areas, but I do think there is a, there's, there's a way of doing it where yeah. we can say that it's bad and also kind of mm-hmm. care for those people mm-hmm. more. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, that potentially might feed into this a bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like, you know, I'm thinking about like the whole Andrew Tate phenomenon, you know, it's like, um, you know, like, you know, like I think just males who are growing through their adolescence and young adulthood are often just like seeking ways to fit in. And like, there's lots of research that's just shown how, shown how like those cultural communities just develop and 
and support each other in like really interesting and unique ways. And so, and that's, again, it's built around like this hegemonic sort of <laughs> toxic masculinity, obviously, but it, it is where people find sometimes a safe haven or a haven that they can, you know, connect with. Um, and so, yeah, again, like that's where the compassion and sort of understanding and education really needs to come in because if we just go in with it with like, Oh, they're just wanting to like, you know, you know, be misogynistic people, like, mm. Then they're then again they're further ostracized. They're further sort of embedding in themselves in that space. They're further like you know kind of pulling themselves away from kind of what we would hope they would follow as far as more like normative society, you know, um, or maybe engaging in risk behaviors like steroid use or other you know uh, violence against women, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's just a problem. I think we just need to be more understanding and accepting of like the male experience. And I think, I think that's shifting slightly. I, I don't know. It's hard to really gauge because mm. uh, I mean, I think the me too movement really was a space where we were really sort of putting the spotlight on male males and in a really rightfully so way, of course. Um, uh, and I, but I think that's now shifted more to like maybe being a bit more like trying to help, right. Trying to understand that the space that young males are growing up in and how do we sort of shift that Mm. um versus maybe shifting like and 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 sort of blaming like specifically like that one individual male i think the narrative has moved to like the general sort of male experience so i think that's a generally a good thing not to say that people who do things poorly against women should not be sort of you know sort of uh uh like given repercussions for that Mm. but um generally i think zooming out and focusing on the the entire space is really important as well yeah i I agree I i think it's like you say it's really hard to track because i think uh, I think so, because so much of it is politicized as well. If you, like mm-hmm. the, the way the way you kind of where you see the I can't think of a better word other than like vibe of where we're at, mm-hmm. at is normally on social media, and social yeah. media will normally just throw one end at you, or whatever. You know, it's really hard to get a balanced, right. a balanced understanding of what's going exactly. on. Exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I do I do think I I see both sides occasionally, and then sometimes mm-hmm. it will veer me on one end and veer me on the other. So it's really hard to yes. know, you know, what what yeah. I'm seeing um yeah but yeah it's really interesting you you brought up the the andrew tate thing because i was actually reading a a report and i forget who did it now but it was in america mm. and they it was all it was all on like um men and boys mm. in america and they they mm-hmm. one of their findings was that um, more young men i think it was i think it was like 14 and below mm. uh, don't maybe that i think i might be wrong but any either way yeah, they, yeah. more young men um said that reported that they trusted andrew tate than mm, they reported mm-hmm. they trusted biden um, yeah. <laughs> and <God>. it, like <laughs> and and that's that like you know obviously it's very funny um but yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't i don't think that like i don't think anything can prove more that there's an mm. issue in the way that we're kind of talking yeah. to young men than the yeah, fact yeah, yeah. that like Tate is more trusted than the president. Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, there the needs to be that. I think if, in any other situation, we'd be like, okay, there's a structural issue here we need yeah. to address. Right. So I feel like, and yeah. I do feel like we're, we're starting to, to look at that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I do thought that stat was just, you know, that's yeah, really funny. incredible in a bad, but funny way. In a bad, but funny way. Yeah. I totally yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's emblematic of just the political, especially the p- political space in the United States for sure. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a big, big piece of the puzzle for sure but yeah no i agree with you that's pretty that's pretty funny <laughs> yeah, yeah i thought it was funny um what about the in regards to because we spoke about the steroids here what do you think because mm-hmm. uh, you know the, i think the the general understanding with supplements well i say general i think it's, it's very mixed but mm-hmm. a lot of people like think they're this magic well you know i guess there's there's even like a there's a 
there is a group of people who see them as steroids, you know. I think mm-hmm. when, I, when I started taking protein powder and stuff, my, my yeah. parents were a bit worried I was taking oh, yeah. something really totally. dangerous. Yeah, um, yeah. But also there's like an overwhelming amount of people who just see it as, you know, because all the fitness influencers yeah. use them, they're just right. seen as this just overtly safe thing. Where yeah, actually right. there are these problematic things, like you said, with the lack of regulations and things. And mm-hmm. like, how, what do you think we do to help with that? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I'm, I'm a proponent of regulating them harder, like giving, mm. giving more regulations. I'm a proponent of generally like creating, making more barriers to accessing them. So like moving them, for example, behind the counter. So like a young person has to, or anybody has to like engage with a, an employee or a pharmacist or something in order to buy them. Um, I think I also am a proponent of age restrictions, like you know, potentially making them something you can, you know, buy at 18 and older uh, or taxing them in order to like make them just like, you know, less people like less willing, less willing to pay the money to buy them. Right. They're pretty relatively cheap at this point. Right. Um, you know, generally you can buy, I mean, again, in like the United States, for example, you can buy like these big things of, you know, whey protein from Costco that are like, you know, whatever, it's like super cheap for the number of grams you get in or like, uh, how much big, how big it is, you know? Mm. Um, so I'm kind of a proponent of those things. And, and the reason for that is because we know, like, we just know the link between using those supplements, uh, again, particularly among young people and like using steroids or engaging in other sort of problematic behaviors, like, you know, sort of over-exercising or eating disorder behaviors. Like we just know that that link exists. Um, and I think too, like, you know, the early adolescence, adolescence timeframe, young adulthood is like when some of those like behaviors, like, like health behaviors kind of begin to solidify. And I think if we can, you know, kind of do the food first way, right. Like if we can propose, propose that as the better way to approach this type of stuff, I think that's, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think aside from that, I think just like, again, general, like, education you know i think uh even among healthcare providers like how many healthcare providers are asking questions like about their patients like are you using this are you not like do you know what's in it like that kind of those kind of questions i think are really important um and uh and same with parents like i think you know i think parents can be culprits in perpetuating use and sort of um introducing use um actually the study that i mentioned earlier that we 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 did to look at the sort of process theory parents were actually a big family and parent parental sort of environment was a big initial catalyst to like weight training and supplement use and things of that nature. So parents can be like very, uh, they can be sort of problematic in some way where they sort of perpetuate and introduce use, but they also could be really important in like, if they don't know, or like you were kind of mentioning, like people think they're steroids, like having the education to like talk to their young, their child or, and sort of educate them or get them support they might need is really important as well. Um, and same thing with like coaches and all that type of stuff. So I think that's a big, big pieces of the puzzle. Um, definitely regulation, definitely education. Um, and, and I think, you know, I think something that's sort of hard to sort of convince people out of using them is like, they're just so, uh, seen as so benign and so like, um, you know, safe, uh, that is, it's sort of, it's hard then to convince people that it's not okay or potentially not okay to use them or, or could be dangerous in some capacity. So uh, that education piece and research piece becomes really important. Mm. Yeah. I, I wonder if um, there is like a, a supplement company that, that sells like, you know, specifically tested mm. something you know, that we, they can say, you know, that they have yeah. like the company that I mentioned in form sports mm-hmm. it's in the UK. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's mm-hmm. a company that does that themselves. I, I imagine it yeah. would then make it more expensive. 
Um, Probably more expensive. Yeah. But then again, I, I like your idea. Then again, you're still relying on the industry to tell you that it's safe, you know? Yeah, and I think true. that's sort of the, that's sort of the interesting challenge, right? It's like, you know, they have to, they have to, they have to do it themselves, right? They have to mm. test it themselves. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's a good thought, though. <laughs> no, yeah, I was, just, I was just thinking, then, like, I feel like it's like that's a gap in, like, Adam, I'm not going to do it, but it's a gap yeah. in the market for someone. Um, yeah. Do you do you have like a similar thing in the states? I forget if you if you mentioned in in Canada or US to inform sport. It's, it's, so you basically the idea is you can you go on the website for people who are mm-hmm. listening who are in the UK, which I think is most of yeah, our listeners. Yeah. Um, you go on inform sport. Uh, you might be able to do it in, in America and stuff you as well. Probably can. I mean, I'm sure it's all the same type of products. Like, yeah. I guess or um, same sort of brands for the most part. And you can you can literally type in like your batch code. So you like you, okay, can, oh, yeah. you have like a whey protein. You can type in the batch code, oh, wow. and then it, if they tested it, it comes up and it tells you oh, wow. that it was free of whatever. Um, but amazing. we were told we were told to do it because we were training to be like nutritionists for yeah, athletes, yeah. and you know right. the amount of times athletes would take you know we'll just take like a protein shake and then they'll get they'll get banned from the sport you know or yeah, they'll totally. be disqualified because they're they're blood yeah. tested for some kind of steroid, um, right right. So you have to be really careful, yeah. Um, which just yeah shocked me, um, and I think that I think that's the thing that I really wanted to get out of this podcast with people, and I think we we have done, but is that you know taking these supplements, you do sometimes have these really dangerous things mm-hmm. in them and you just don't like just don't no know. one talks about it <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and it's and it's prevalent enough that there's a whole company that's designed yeah. around helping you mm-hmm. not do that mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah there's a yeah. there's a harvard researcher i can't remember his first name but his last name is cohen c-o-c-o-h-e-n and he's that's basically all he does is he he just tests these different products and and basically shows that they're <laughs> you know that they've got contamination in them or they're adulterated in some way and uh yeah i mean there's definitely like a need for that that verification that they're safe and um and clean right mm-hmm. clean to the whatever the standard is that they say they have the products that they're that are in the products that that they are the ingredients are there so yeah very much needed mm, yeah very much so um, okay, Kyle, it's um, at that point of the podcast that everyone loves, mostly because <laughs> of the terrible jingle. Um, yeah, I don't know if you heard yet, but well, you're about to, and okay, okay. it's always a, it's always an experience. Um, everyone, it is time for the devil's advocate. It's the devil's advocate. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's good. good. (laughs) It's good, isn't it? It's good. Um, So for those who this might be their first podcast, I'd like to just explain. um, The Devil's Advocate is basically a section of the pod that I brought in um, a while ago now, but still semi-recently, where I was finding that, as with this podcast, I was often just agreeing with my guests (laughs) because I invite you on usually because I really like the ideas that you talk about and you know, things mm-hmm. so we just end up agreeing with each other so i wanted to bring on a question where i specifically embody the devil's advocate and kind of go against as far as i'm concerned what my guest maybe is thinking or believing so today's devil's advocate question is supplements are designed for and sold to health and fitness enthusiasts aren't you just making an issue out of what are simply fitness enthusiasts trying to maximize their results yeah, I think that's a really good devil's advocate question. And I was thinking about, I was thinking about this and yeah, my thought is the, 
the reason why I think it's actually uh, important to investigate this stuff and identify it is because we don't actually know when the use of these products is like problematic versus not problematic. I think that's the, and maybe that's kind of the root of what we've kind of got at or hinted at today is like, when is it problematic to use whey protein? When is it problematic to use creatine or steroid, even steroids, right? Like when is that problematic? When is it problematic to engage in weight training or different sort of exercise behaviors? Um, you know, that's the, that's the real challenge. I think I have a preconceived notion and maybe there's, there's probably others who have preconceived notions of like when is problematic versus not problematic. Um, and so I think as we've said, it's like, these are fitness enthusiasts, sure. And like, there may also be sort of, uh, they might also be struggling in some capacity with something, you know, with engagement in these behaviors or these supplements, um, that need to be investigated, uh, and, and sort of understood a bit more. Um, so that, that's kind of my, my sort of thinking and response around it is like, mm. we just, we just don't know, like, we just don't really have a good handle on like, when is it problematic? When is it not? And how do we help these people? Um, and because it's so socially accepted and, uh, even like, like for young males, for example, like it's very, um, it's very like, uh, like what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, you know, like, Oh God, I can't, I'm like totally spacing on that word. Like they're, they're like propelled to do it. They're like, Oh, good job. You're in the gym. Like, Oh, you're trying to build muscle. Like, Oh, good job. You know, it's like very much socially accepted and, and, um, they're benefiting from that. So yeah, I think, I don't think, I don't think we're making a, maybe I'm, maybe I'm in my own bubble, but I mean, I don't think we're making an issue out of nothing. I think that there's definitely something to investigate and understand to, in order to sort of support the people who generally are struggling the most with it. And I imagine that there's like a bell curve of people, right? Like on one end of the spectrum, there's like people who are just like very benignly using it and maybe use it once or twice. And they're just like, whatever. And I'm talking about like just dietary supplements, for example, um, but then there's probably a whole slew of people in the middle who are like using it to varying degrees. Some are seeing benefits. Some might be struggling a little bit. Some might have some issues, some have some side effects. But then there's probably a bunch who are on the sort of far end of the bell curve who are like really, really struggling, right? Like they're maybe using steroids as well. They're engaging in other weight behaviors that are problematic or over-exercising through injury, like blah, 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 blah. So I think, yeah, I think it's important just to understand these individuals in a very holistic way um because we can then hopefully help all of them right or any of them who may need the support that they need mm. yeah and i think yeah I, yeah fantastic answer i think even you know even just proactively even if no one was struggling mm -hmm. right now there is a potential for people to struggle with them and therefore even right. proactively we would but we also know that people are struggling with them because you know as you say mm -hmm. linked to eating disorders and mm -hmm. also dysmorphia and all these kind of things so yeah, yeah. Um, excellent answer. Yeah. Um, okay, we'll move on to the final yeah. three. So sure. um, I ask every guest these final three questions. Mm -hmm. um, they're unrelated, but they're, they're fun. Um, sure. They're, well, they're not really questions there. I, I used to call them the final three questions, and then someone pointed out that they're just like me kind of stating something at you <laughs> right? there's, no there's no question mark at the end yeah. so the, the final three yes. um so the first sure. one is um name a person that inspires you um i always say like neil armstrong <laughs> uh mainly because i think it would be really cool to go to space <laughs> mm. i don't think i would ever actually go to space uh and also like he was the first person like to ever step on the moon like i don't know that's a pretty phenomenal feat and 
Um, I often say this is the person that I want to meet with and like, in, you know, talk to if I like in that question, like, who would you meet if you person dead or alive? And I would say, always oh, say Neil Armstrong. And I think the part of the reason for that is like my wife, even though she's not really a conspiracy theorist, uh, she likes to pretend to be a conspiracy theorist just to get under my skin sometimes. But she sort of thinks that like we didn't actually go to the moon. So part of the reason why I want to like meet him and who I, he inspires me is because I just want to know like, dude, did we actually go to the moon? <laughs> just so I can prove her I wrong. Mean, I mean, we <laughs> totally didn't go to the moon, obviously. But I, yeah. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I think he, he would be interesting. I think just, yeah, the sort of feat of of doing something so phenomenal and sort of you know, globally world changing, like universe changing. Like, I think that's just like really interesting and just very inspiring. Yeah. You know what? That, that, that is not what I thought you were going to say. But, like, <laughs> that's a fantastic answer. And like, yeah, people, I feel like Neil Armstrong gets, he slept on now. No one ever talks about Neil Armstrong. No one ever talks know? about him. Yeah. Like you yeah. said, he was, he was like, you know, yeah. World defining moments, like the entire yes. world. And now yes. people are just, never you never hear anything so yeah no, thank you for bringing true. him up again Amazing. yeah yeah um okay second one and my favorite one mm-hmm. um uh, name a, a phase of your life that you didn't like at the time but looking back you know mm. the positives came from it yeah that's a good question um or i don't statement i should say mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, I would say probably like my freshman year in college. Uh, I actually studied photography in New York City at an art school, and I was super amped to go and super excited. And uh, I was from, from like a suburban town in Massachusetts and like plopped myself right in the middle of Manhattan. <laughs> and so it was like a huge adjustment. And like, I thought it was going to be so much like that was gonna be like rainbows and butterflies and just this mm. amazing experience. And it was actually like a massive adjustment, like way more than I ever anticipated. Um and uh but yeah i mean i think i i kind of feel like looking back even though it was such a challenge it was such like a defining experience i mean obviously i think going to college is such a defining experience for for many people but um you know i think that 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 freshman year and i think it sort of set up the rest of my sort of educational experience of course um but you know just kind of solidified you know my interest in in learning and sort of curiosity and you know, I was obviously studying photography. So it was like really fun to just like take pictures all the time and like go to the dark room and print them and all that. Um, but, you know, I think that like, it was very scientific. It was, it was just like lots of pieces of the puzzle, very conceptual, like, and so, um, you know, the struggle of like that huge transition coupled with like, you know, a huge, just like burst of information and uh, like cut, touching on like sort of different aspects of myself that I hadn't had in high school, obviously, because you're just in high school, like whatever. Um, I think was just like really, you know, really challenging, but also extremely positive and extremely, you know, sort of uh, fundamental to like my life. <laughs> so yeah, that's my, that's my time. I would say. Amazing. I, like yeah, I had no, I, uh, I, I had no idea um, that you did photography. That's really cool. Do you mm-hmm. still, do you still dabble in? I, st- I still dabble. I mostly take pictures of my children. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> like the only time I have is just like my camera's hanging around and I just, they're doing something funny or the lights looks really nice and I take the pictures. Um, nice. Or, you know, traveling is another big one. Um, occasionally, like I'll spend some time like with a photography project, but it's, you know, unfortunately few and few and far between these days with, with young kids mm-hmm. and work and <laughs> like life. Um so yeah, so uh, yeah, not as intensive as I used to do, but definitely it's always something that's there and it comes in, I always say to myself, it comes in waves, like some months I'm like super involved in it and some months go by and I don't do anything. So it's very, uh, it's always been that way kind of 
since I left college, basically, because when you're in art school, all you do is take pictures. <laughs> so, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I had no idea mm-hmm. about, about you. I have so many more questions now, but we're at the end, so I'll, I'll leave it to the post-pod. Um, but, sure. okay, um, final of the final three. Um, mm-hmm. Name a phrase or word that changed your mm-hmm. life. Sure. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, so I'm not a religious person. <laughs> I, I've not really, I mean, I grew up like Christian, but I wasn't like someone who went to church or really was has never really been involved in any type of religious denomination. Um, but I actually have a tattoo of, of this quote, and it comes from the Bible. And it's, uh, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye be clear, the whole body shall be full of life. And uh, yeah, I it was actually in a photography book that really inspired me to, this is funny, all this stuff about my like photography like days are coming up. <laughs> um, uh, it really inspired me to like, um, you know, take pictures and be open to the world and like keep my eyes open. Um, actually it was in a quoted in a photography book of a photographer that <clears throat> I was very, very inspired by and interested in and really like was a catalyst for my engagement in photography. Um, but I think it applies just like globally, like, you know, it's like to research, to education, mm. to life, to friendships, relationships, like well, everything, right. It's like, if you just, you got to keep your eyes open, you know, that is sort of how, the world is perceived and engage, you're engaging in the world is in a lot of ways just through what you see. And um, yeah, so I think that's sort of the quote that I think has changed, changed my life. And I sort of, you know, like I said, I have a tattooed on me, so I obviously yeah. really like, like to see it and remind myself of it often. Um, Cause I think it's really, yeah, it's very grounding, I guess. I love that. That's such a, yeah, that's really, really great quote yeah that's fantastic yeah and I, I was thinking as you said it that it kind of applies to research and, and mm-hmm. uh, i was just as well like uh, as someone who has recently been learning about um ontology and epistemology and mm-hmm. like, the way that you mm-hmm. see the world and stuff is mm-hmm. kind of reminiscing with that a bit as well and totally um, yeah yeah really interesting yeah cool yeah um yeah. thank you so much kyle for the pod thank you so much for for being on i hope you enjoyed it yeah, it was great. It was an awesome conversation and hopefully it's informative for our listeners and yeah, just good to chat about this stuff. And again, as we chatted about, chatted about like education is really important. So maybe we provided some of that here too, which is awesome. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Um, for everyone listening at home, thank you so much for making it through another one of the episodes and I hope to see you at the next one. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Here at Maya Minds, we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast. So please, if you can, give it a share. Each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that. Also, if you want to check out mayaminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there. And we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.